Welcome to the Kingdom Corner Podcast, where we discuss how to live the kingdom culture on earth as it is in heaven, just as Jesus prayed. Here's your host, the great Matt Guy. Good afternoon, Kingdom Corner Podcast devotees. The great Matt Guybe here with you once again on a crisp, cool, wet fall day. And I'm coming to you again from the book of Ephesians. I felt like this was a good book to be in considering where we're at in the world at this time. I think it's very timely, the messages that are in the book that Paul has for us. And we were right in the middle of a portion of Scripture in Ephesians 4, 23 through 32. Ephesians 4, 23 through 32 where I had begun to talk to you about this portion of Scripture, and I had titled this, Put on your new outfit and burn your old. Put on that new outfit and burn your old. And I'll just read the passage again, and then we'll get right back into it. Verse 23, Ephesians 4, verse 23, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands for what is good, that he may have something to give those in need. Verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed from your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now, when I began to speak about this on the last episode, I said when I first looked at this portion of Scripture, I just thought, wow, maybe we should bypass this because it's so negative. There just didn't seem to be much in here that I thought was necessary to go over. I mean, look at all these things that he's talking about that are in the negative. Anger, wrath, lying, stealing, corrupt communication from your mouth, grieving the Holy Spirit, bitterness, again, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, and malice. Wow, seven or eight issues that he addresses, and I'm thinking, well, this is a church at Ephesus that was Christian. Why are we going over these things again? And then I was out walking my dog. I shared with you the last time that God began to speak to me about this passage and said that many Christians, and sometimes even us that have walked with the Lord a long time, are still in the morning when we begin our day putting on our old clothes and forgetting about the new ones. The new clothes in my word picture was the new nature that we are able to put on because we know Jesus Christ, and that we forget about that. And sometimes it's just easy, as I told you about my ratty old jeans and ratty old sweatpants and t-shirts that my wife eventually burned up because she didn't like me wearing them, that it's easy for us to get comfortable in those and put them on. Hopefully, if you've walked with the Lord a long time now, or for a while now, 
that's not comfortable for you anymore. And in fact, if you do put them on and you do react out of the old man with a number of these characteristics that we're going to talk about today that you feel pricked in your heart and you go back and you make those things right with people and especially right before the Lord, and you are really burning those old clothes, that old nature, having it buried in baptism like Paul talked about, and putting on the new clothes. And last time when we stopped, because of time, we had stopped and we had talked about verse 25, 26, about lying, about being angry, about not letting the sun go down on our anger that might then turn into bitterness. And we talked quite a bit about those things and about if you do those kind of things, you're giving place to the devil. In fact, all these negative things, if you allow them to live in your life, if you react that way, you don't allow the Holy Spirit to work with you, then you not only grieve the Holy Spirit, but you're giving a room to the devil. It's as if you're opening up your spiritual house and you're saying, come on in, enemy, here's a room for you. And we don't want to do that. So now we'll go to verse 28. It's interesting. Do Christians steal? Well, let's look into this a little bit. Let's look into this because I have some, I believe, interesting thoughts about topic of stealing as I thought and prayed about this. And let's talk about that. Let's look at that verse again. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give those who are in need. In other words, what Paul is referring to is he's referring to the Ephesus Christians who have been converted to Christianity, the Gentiles, who one time walked in the flesh, and there were a lot of gangs around Ephesus in the heels of Ephesus of marauding bands of thieves, and he's talking to his congregation because some of them were in those old gangs and were former thieves, and he's telling them, steal no more. That's what he's talking about. But when we dig further and we really meditate on this further, I think there are some things for us today in this. And the first thing I would bring up is one simple way that, you know, sometimes I've been guilty of this. I try to be aware of it now. In our busy lives, we go to the store and we buy something. We buy groceries. One time I bought some tools and we find out they mischarge us or they give us a lot of change back in our favor and it's wrong. And sometimes we don't even realize it till we're home. Or we're in such a hurry, we just dismiss it and say, oh, it'll be all right. But that's a form of stealing unless you go back and you make that right and say, hey, you charged me like one fellow did for some plumbing tools. He charged me $12 instead of it should have been more like 50 And I had to go back and make that right. Now, I admit sometimes in the past I haven't done that. That's one way. Another way that I thought that we steal, of course, and I'm not trying to jump on anybody here or guilt them, is possibly with tithes and offerings. I know over the years I've been a Christian since I was in diapers, raised in a Christian home, taught and had it pounded into my head about tithes and offerings. And even in my married life, the same with my wife. She's the same way. We have pretty much, I'd say, over 90% of the time given a tithe plus an offering, you know, because that's what's drilled into us. And some of you here, maybe you're newer Christians, maybe you've been a Christian a long time, but you haven't given a tithe and offering. I would ask you to consider what God would have you do about that. I believe it's scriptural that every Christian should give a tithe plus an offering. However, 
I'll take it a step further that talking about my own life, how I was saying it was drilled into me and I just did that. I was good about doing it. And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back because our good works are like filthy rags. God came to me one time a number of years ago and said, you're stealing from me. And I said, Lord, what are you talking about? I give a tithe and an offering. He says, you're stealing from me. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, you just give that out of a sense of duty. You give that out of a sense of keeping the law, even sometimes out of a sense that that's going to put you in good graces with me, and you're not doing it out of love. You're not a cheerful giver. And unless you can become a cheerful giver, I don't want your tithe and offering any longer. I don't want it. You need to be a cheerful giver. And so that's another way that God dealt with me about stealing from him. I was stealing from him because my heart was not right in the giving. You know, we can do all the right things, but if our heart is not right, it's kind of like the little boy who's put in a corner and disciplined by his parents, and he, you know, they stop him from doing a wrong thing, like he was lying or, you know, saying he did something and he didn't do it, and then his parents discipline him. And then after he gets out of the corner, he says, well, you can discipline me that way all you want, mom and dad. But in my heart, I'm still doing that. I'm still not doing what you asked me to. And that's the same principle there. It's what's in the heart that really mattered. And then God took me about five years ago to even another level. And I'm, I'm going on here about stealing or about especially giving to the, to the uh, work of God. And he challenged me. Yes, I give a tithe and offering. Yes, my heart was right about that. But he challenged me through this Christian businessman who was an elder who gave a wonderful message on generous giving. He challenged me at the end of the service and said, I want you to become a generous giver. I said, Lord, I give a tithe and offering. He says, that's not what I'm talking about. I want to bless you beyond what you could ever dream or imagine and increase the wealth and the monies that come into your house, not so you can keep it to yourself, though I don't mind you enjoying some of it, but so that you can further the gospel even more. And, you know, I went forward and I prayed that prayer, and it didn't happen right away, but over time I began to give more and more. And I have a book here that I have written, and this is a shameless plug also for my book. It's all based on the book of Ecclesiastes, in fact, I, maybe I will turn to the chapter, and I will read it. It's based on Ecclesiastes. I studied that book for years as a teacher, taught it for a couple years in a church, and this little devotional book I came out this past August, it came out. I'd been working on it a year, and it's all devotional lessons from the life of Solomon and the things that he saw that was going on in his world. And I just want to talk to you about one chapter in here when we're talking about talking about giving. Let me find it. Cast your bread upon the waters. I want to turn to that scripture, that chapter, and I want to at least read that passage because it's very applicable for what I'm talking about in becoming a generous giver. If I'm hitting on that today, perhaps God wants you to be a generous giver. Cast your bread upon the waters. Ecclesiastes 11, 1 through 6. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters. For you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight. For you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. If the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth. 
And whatever a tree falls toward the south or toward the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Sow your seed in the morning. Do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. This chapter, this passage of Scripture, and it's kind of my experience that's shared in here, but it's all about giving. And he's talking, this is a a word picture in the Hebrew idiom about, you know, cast your bread on the water, uh, a picture of almost recklessly giving. And I'm not talking about you necessarily. I'm not asking you to just be a reckless giver, and yet this is kind of the picture. In other words, give above a tithe, give above an offering, give above just giving to the Red Cross. Seek out others you may give to. You know, seven or even eight, he's saying. You know, divide to seven or even eight. And, you know, don't worry about the, you know, sometimes we think everything's got to be perfect, even to start giving and tithe and offering. And yet, you know, the farmer can't wait on that or he'll never sow. And nothing will ever be perfect in your life if you're coming into a place by faith to move up the tithing or move up to tithe plus an offering or like me, attempting to become a generous giver. I know at first when God challenged me with that, I think I was kind of slow to respond to that. And a couple times lovingly in prayer, he said, what about that promise you made to me to become a cheerful giver or to become a generous giver? Have you acted upon that yet? Well, no. And he began to work on my heart. And gradually I began because that was my heart to give to others, you know, not necessarily eight or nine people all at once, but more than a tithe and an offering, more than just to one organization, but several. And so this is a beautiful chapter on that, that God wants you to be open to. After all, you know, how else will the gospel go forward? After all, this life is short. What else is there with your money to really invest in? I'm not saying you can't buy a new house. My friends just moved into a new house that they love. You know, they're good Christian people. My other friend just bought a new truck. That's okay. But how about being excited about giving to the work of God, about giving to that pastor friend of yours or that missionary friend of yours? You know, I'm really hitting on that today because maybe God is speaking to some of you to, you know, cast your bread upon the water to see what will happen to divide to seven or eight, you know? Do not steal. I'm not saying you're stealing if you don't do that, but if God is talking to you about it, You need to, by faith, begin to respond to that message. Let's go on. 1 Thessalonians 4.11, about stealing as a cross-reference, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands as we command you. Again, another cross-reference that we just talked about. You know, let's see what else. 1 Corinthians 4.12, and we labor working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we endure. And it's talking about Paul. He was also a tent maker. You know, he asked the church to provide for him, but he didn't want to be too much of a burden on them. So he also worked, you know. Let's go to verse 29. We're going on. I went quite a bit here about that. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good or necessary for edification, that it might impart grace to the hearers and do not Grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day at redemption. 
corrupt communication, literally sopros, rotten, putrefied, poor quality, unfit for use. Not just Then it's not just swearing that he's talking about or taking Jesus' name in vain, as most of us think. That's part of it, yes, that's included here, but that's not just what he's talking about. He's talking about worthless talk, bad talk, slander, all those kind of things. Don't let it proceed out of your mouth. It talks about, in Matthew 7, 17 and 18, about a corrupt tree brings out corrupt fruit. And if we're corrupted, that's what's going to come out of your mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth will speak. So if you're putting negative things in there, that's what's going to come out of your mouth. And we don't want those communications to come out that are negative. In other words, put on the new man so you're transformed, so good things will come out of your mouth. And so good fruit will come out, okay? That's what we're talking about. Things that aren't corrupt, negative, like the children of Israel. Remember how they murmured in the wilderness that kept them from the promised land? Complaining, doubting God, you know? There's nothing that displeases God more than lack of faith, I'll say. Curses, cursing another. How about cursing your child? I've done this out of frustration. You know, you'll never get this right. You'll never amount to anything. That's nothing but a curse. You don't need to say that to them. If they're not getting it, you just say, well, you know, let's take a break from this. Let's come back later because I know that you have the intelligence to do this. And God will help us with this, whether it's math, whether it's writing, whatever it is. But don't ever call a child stupid or don't ever say, you know, you'll never get this. You're dumb. You know, that's a curse. That's what he's talking about. Let's see. Benefit is the word agathos, meaning good, beneficial, essential, absolute, and consummate good. Something that's joyful and honorable and upright, honorable, pleasing to God. So what's he say here? We're in verse 29 there. Don't let the corrupt words out, but talk about those things that are good for necessary, a benefit. And I just read that what that word means. The Philippians 4.8, whatsoever is good, whatsoever is just, whatsoever is honorable. Those are the kind of things. Look up Philippians 4.8. That's such a wonderful verse. I'm not sure I have it in my cross-reference, but I just gave you the verse. You can go look that up. That's what you should be saying. That's how you should be conducting your conversation. But that will only come out of a heart that has been transformed. That will only come out, again, as we go back to my word picture, as you put on the new man every day. You know, when you got the old man on, you're liable to get disappointed with people and say things you shouldn't. You're liable to get impatient with your daughter or your son and maybe pronounce a curse upon them that you should not. So, Edifying, that's a beautiful word. Edifying, that comes from a Greek word that means to build. We want to build something. Okodama or okademo. Build, builder, building. Remember, we talked about in Ephesians 2, 21 to 22, about the temple, the living, breathing temple of God. We want to build that temple. You will not build it through corrupt communication. You will only build it through good thoughts and good things and encouraging your brother and sister. It means an act of promoting others. That's what edification means. It's growth in the Christian walk. It's about wisdom. It's about providing things that will encourage others and will provide holiness. Let's go on to verse 30 then. we got to get through this today. Spent a lot of time. We talked about the corrupt word, corrupt communications. 
All right, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Grieve is an interesting word that we could look at for a minute. To cause pain or grief or distress. To cause sorrow, heaviness, pain of the body or the mind. To cause one to groan or be troubled deeply within. To work out with labor like a woman in labor for a child. To displease or offend. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit by corrupt communication. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit by any of these things that he's mentioned here. By being angry with another by having bitterness, by stealing. We talked about that. By lying. We talked about that the last session. And then he goes on with these other things that we want to finish up here with. Grieve not the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed. And a sealing process is kind of like when they bought a piece of land, they'd get a jar of dirt that would signify that that was their land and they'd take it with them. And God seals us, you know, with the Holy Spirit in the same way that's kind of a portion of what we will have for eternity, of the whole presence of God. So grieve not the Holy Spirit. And then let's go on and finish up. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you. In other words, burn those old clothes. Put it away. Get rid of it. And also malice. All right? Bitterness, extreme wickedness. It's talking about bitter fruit from a bitter tree, bitter hatred. Hebrews 12, 15 talked about looking diligently lest any man, in other words, look at your faith diligently lest any man fail entering in because of a root of bitterness. You know, bitterness will keep you from the promised land. Bitterness will keep you from realizing the destiny that God has in store for you. The fruit of the tree is bitter if the heart is bitter, okay? We talked a little bit about that. To irritate, to make bitter, to be made bitter. Colossians 3.19, wives submit to your own husbands as fitting in the Lord, that's verse 18. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. And that I tag that verse because sometimes in our living situations, it's easy to get bitter, especially wives with our wives, our husbands, because of something they did wrong or something we misunderstood and in our family. So I tagged that one for, I thought it was a real good one to read there. Hebrews 3 and 4, you should read those chapters this week. It talks about Israel not getting into the promised land because they were, in Hebrews 4, 6, it uses the word, they were unpersuadable, or they, the Greek word is apithia, which is like a word picture of trying to lead a donkey to water that doesn't want to drink. They were unpersuadable. Do not be that way. Put to death all attitudes of the flesh. Remember, James 3.6 talks about the tongue as that little member that can set a whole body on fire. Colossians 3.8 says, put aside, this is a cross-reference, put aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. 1 Timothy 3.2 says, an overseer, an elder, then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. And then let's finish up, and I will be done here. See if there's any more notes. We talk quite a bit about wrath and anger and bitterness, and anger is can be that that just comes up to the boil up immediately within you at something that happens. Anger, indignation, temper. Don't let those things rule you. Clamor is like an outcry because you've been wronged. You know, a murmuring, a complaining. Evil speaking is railing and reproach, actually slandering somebody, vilifying them. 
Malice means having a bad intention towards somebody, wickedness, depravity. It's the opposite word of excellence. Actually, it's called viciousness of character by one commentator, a desire actually to cause injury to somebody physically. So those are the ways we do not want to be. We want to be edifying. We want to be loving. And with that, let's close off with the one verse and we'll be done for today because this sums up the way we should all be. This sums up the whole lesson in Ephesians 4, 23 to 32. And that is, let's read that verse, the last verse here, 31, 32. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that's the way we need to be toward each other. Kind and tenderhearted, not vindictive, not angry. You know, people make mistakes. You know, we're going to offend each other when we're in relationship with each other. But we want to know that we are, as being kind, we want to know that our brothers and sisters, even though they might sometime make a mistake and offend us, that, that in reality, they really have our back. They're really for us. They're not against us. That's what we want to remember. And I want to see, let me see what I have here in the notes before we finish. This should happen automatically in the church. That should go without saying that we're tenderhearted, meaning to be soft and sensitive, acting in love, compassionate, pitiful, of good-heartedness towards one another. You splankness means it's from the bowels. We have such love for somebody, from our deep emotions, forgiving one another as Christ forgave us. Colossians 3, 12 to 15, this good cross-reference. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should forgive. Beyond all these things, put on love. Remember I told you to put on that new suit? which is the perfect bond of unity. Remember, we've spoken a lot about unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body. All right. So that's the end for today. We've talked about Ephesians 4, 23 to 32. And the main word picture is for today is put on that new outfit he's provided for you by the death and resurrection and the shed blood of Jesus. Put on that new man and burn those old clothes. Until we meet again, be blessed. Thank you for listening to the Kingdom Corner podcast. Hey, thank you for being a part of the Kingdom Corner. Make sure you click that subscribe button so you get notified every time we release a new episode. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family.